So there you go. Our church is turning 50 this year. And it's pretty exciting to think about all the things that the Lord has done, all the people who have come to faith here at Houston Northwest, the people who have been sent out, churches that have been started, missionaries that have been commissioned. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing to think about, and we want to celebrate that. So we're going to celebrate that together on the weekend of April 29th and 30th, and we want to ask you now to go ahead and put that on your calendar. On Saturday the 29th, we're going to have kind of a reunion reception. Invite anybody and everybody that you think might be interested in coming back and uh, seeing the great history of Houston Northwest. And then on the 30th, we're going to have a worship service. And we're just going to declare right now that on the 30th, we're going to have a baptism service. And we're going to ask that as we celebrate the 50th anniversary that we will see, um, we're, we're praying for lots and lots of folks who will come to faith and follow the Lord in baptism on that day. So I want you to pre prepare to join us for that. So, amen? All right, good. All right, here we go. Now, if you are our guest, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we, we believe here at Houston Northwest uh, that we've got a pretty good thing going on. I know I'm biased, but I think that the Lord is doing some great things in our church, and uh, we want you to join us in that. Uh, our vision here at Houston Northwest is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. And we want to invite you to join us in that. And if you are interested in that, just let us know that you're here. We're not going to spam you or anything, but we do want to help you take your next step, whatever that might be. This card is your tool to communicate with us. Just grab that out of the seat pocket in front of you, fill it out. Uh, if you prefer a digital version of that card, there's a QR code on the backs of the seats in front of you. Um, if you're watching online, there's going to be a, a link that's going to come into the chat. But just fill that card out at the end of the service when the offering basket passes in front of you. Drop that in there and let us know what is your next step that you need to take to follow the Lord faithfully. And we want to help you uh, do that. Um, also, I'm going to talk more about this here in just a moment. But this Wednesday, this Wednesday, we are going to have a night of prayer and worship. And uh, we believe that the Lord is doing some very, very cool things right now, not just in our church, but we're seeing that across the country right now. And we just want to be crying out to the Lord and asking him to continue to move. We are going to, uh, to be praying um, and asking the Lord between Wednesday and Easter Sunday. We'll be celebrating the resurrection on April 9th. We're going to ask that the Lord would just bring many to faith and that God would restore relationships and repair marriages and break addictions and do all kinds of just deep spiritual and emotional work that needs to be done. And we want to invite you to join us in that. And so join us this Wednesday as we prepare for that and hope that you'll be here as we do that. All right, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you at this time to go ahead, take it out, open it up, head over to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. And uh, as you're headed over to Matthew 6, I want to just give a brief introduction to the Bible today for those in the room who might be new to the Bible, might not have any experience with it. So the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about their waiting for a rescuer, a redeemer. They use the word Messiah. And uh, they're looking for Messiah to come and to overthrow the Roman government because they've been under the rule of the Romans and they're looking for their own kingdom. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we find out who Messiah is. And whenever we find out who Messiah is, we discover that his name is Jesus and that Jesus is not just a teacher or a preacher, but that Jesus is in fact God in flesh and that Jesus is uh, unique because he comes teaching and preaching about this coming kingdom, but it's not about military overthrow. It's not about politics. It's something, in fact, very different. And so Jesus comes, born of a virgin, lives a sinless human life, 
He dies a, sacrific a sacrificial death on the cross. So in other words, Jesus was executed by the ruling authorities of the day because they were threatened by him. But his death was not just punishment for what they perceived to be sedition. No, in fact, Jesus' death, the Bible tells us, was somehow a metaphysical act that took your sin and my sin onto his body and that our sin was punished and that through that we received forgiveness of sin. But the story wasn't over there. The Bible says that three days later, Jesus comes back from the dead. And when he comes back from the dead, his followers are then convinced that he is indeed the Messiah. And they go telling anyone who will listen. So they're like, okay, look, we found the Messiah. It really is Jesus. His death gives us forgiveness of sin. His resurrection proves that God will one day resurrect us and give us eternal life with him. And in the meantime, God fills us with his spirit so that we can live this truth here, now, and today. That's good news. We call it the gospel, and we continue to proclaim it even now. So in Matthew, Jesus, this is one of the biographies of Jesus. Jesus is teaching about ways that people can follow God, and he gets to a little teaching on fasting. And uh, we are talking a lot about hungering after God right now, and today is the final sermon in a series on hungering for God and so we're going to look at this teaching that Jesus gave on fasting and see what fasting this teaching has to do with us today. So if you would, pray with me and we're going to jump in together. Uh, Lord, we, we ask today, let us hear from you. Speak to us through your word. And Father, let us leave here today changed. Let us act on what we hear so that we might know that you see us, and that you have a word for us. God, we, we want to act on what it is that you want to give. And so, Father, let us respond. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 6, starting in verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. I, I, I'm sure by this point, we're pretty much all convinced that our phones are listening to us. Yes? Are we in agreement with that? Right? You know, you, you start talking about things and then boom, you pull out your phone, targeted ad right, uh, right for you. Um, I was talking with a couple of my friends recently about intermittent fasting. Anybody heard about, you know, the great thing of intermittent fasting, right? So we're talking about this, open up my phone, boom, there's all these programs that show up. Next time I'm surfing the web, hey, are you interested in intermittent fasting, right? And this sort of thing. So I start reading some of these articles about this. And one of the things that I discovered in reading it is that there are things that the Bible teaches that people who are not believers discover are actually good for them. Fasting might be one of these things, right? You can read this article and people will say, oh, well, you know, not only helps you lose weight, it helps you also have a clearer mind and, you know, and all these kinds of things that people will talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting. And honestly, the way that Jesus taught us to live, the kingdom of God, is one of those things that even if you're not a believer, it's good to serve others. It's good to forgive others. And one of the things that I've discovered over the years is that sometimes, sort of almost accidentally, somehow those of us who do believe begin operating from a space where we're not operating 
for Jesus or for God. We're instead operating because of the benefits we receive in living the way of Christ. Today is what is known in the liturgical calendar as Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration Sunday is a day where we remember that the disciples went up on a mountain and Jesus revealed himself to them, his true self. And he showed them that he was not a man like them, but in fact was God in flesh. They saw his full glory. He was transfigured before them. And they realized this Jesus, he's not just like me. He's something unique. He's something different. Today, I want to challenge us as we think about fasting to think about Jesus and to recognize that there is a very subtle temptation for many of us today to think of Jesus as useful instead of glorious. And I want us today to come and approach the idea of fasting, not first and foremost about what it is that we get out of it, but how it is that we pursue the glory of God through that, that we, we actually get more of Jesus whenever we come in fasting. So will this be helpful? Will it be useful? Yes, I think it will be. But I want us to resist the temptation of thinking of God as only another character that might be useful in my life and begin recognizing and thinking of God in the terms that God reveals himself, which is the supreme presence we need so that we can actually know the purpose for which we were created. So as we jump in today in Matthew 6, I want us to think about fasting in those terms and how it is that we can actually look to God and say, God, I'm not doing this just so it's useful, but I'm doing this because I want to experience and know your glory. So let's start here in verse 16. Jesus says, whenever you fast, the first thing that I'd say for you today is that fasting is just part of following God. Fasting is part of following God. You know, for a lot of us here, you know, we start talking about fasting. You're like, well, I hope that the monks who do that enjoy it, right? You know, it's not something that we think that just normal people will participate in. But Jesus is clear. He says, whenever you fast, he actually says it twice in these three verses, because his assumption is, is that if you're going to follow him, if you're following God, fasting will be part of your rhythm. Now, I could go through the scriptures here, and I could point out all kinds of examples of people fasting and why fasting might be helpful and that sort of thing. But I just want to make it very simple and say, if we look at the Bible, I think that we see two very clear reasons why it is that the Lord commends fasting to us. Two very clear reasons. Number one, when we interrupt our rhythms, we end up creating spaces where God can speak to us. You already know this, right? We send our kids to camp and they have like kind of this experience where they encounter God because they're not looking at their phones all the time and they're uh, worshiping the Lord, they're spending time in prayer. Maybe you grew up going to you know, church camp and you've had an experience like this. Maybe you've even been on a retreat, had an experience like this, and we, we understand that. But every person knows that as you get older and as you have a job and responsibilities, it becomes more and more difficult to draw aside and go simply to say, well, I'm going to have an extended three or four or five-day time alone with the Lord. And fasting is, for all intents and purposes, essentially a mini-retreat any time you choose to practice it. It's a moment where we interrupt our rhythms, 
And instead of eating in that moment, we say, I'm going to encounter God. Because the way that fasting works is we say, I'm going to take this time that normally I would set aside to eat, and I'm going to choose right now to put my phone down, to turn off my notifications, and to just focus in on feasting on the presence of God. I would say also, secondly, that food is one of the ways that we intentionally and unintentionally distract our attentions and deaden our desires. So I want you to think about this. The Bible commends feasting, right? The prodigal son comes home, let's kill the fatted calf. Uh, we have the, the idea of the wedding supper of the lamb that we'll experience one day whenever we're, we're uh, in the presence of the Lord forever. We have this idea that we will always be feasting forever. So isn't it interesting that as much as God talks about feasting and hospitality and gathering around a table, that he also says, but don't neglect that sometimes you ought to fast. And I think that the reason for that is, is that God knows that we can get an unhealthy relationship with food, some of us eating too much, some of us actually having an unhealthy relationship with food to the point where we're afraid of it. And he's saying, let's use fasting as a moment to re-examine our relationship with food, but also so that we can create space where we can meet with him. And so fasting ends up being a space where we meet with God so that we can reorient our hearts and encounter him. Fasting is part of following God because it's a little mini retreat where we can meet with God and get things set right again. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay, good. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep working. That's, we're not done yet. So that's good. Well, here we go. So as we meet with God, what does God do? He changes our hearts. And as he changes our hearts, then we will begin to see things inside of us that need addressing. Let's be honest. Many of us are like, oh, man, I should probably deal with that. But instead, here's some tortilla chips, right? <laughs> and what the Lord says is if you'll just set aside the food for a second and not have that be the thing that comforts you, I want you to allow me to speak into those things. And as we're changed, we actually start to see things differently. There's a, a really famous passage in Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, that speaks about fasting. Just listen to this. Because fasting, fasting ends up being not simply about not eating. It's actually not only just about praying, but it's that we ought to be changed to a point that we begin to reorient our hearts and do the things that God would have us do. Isaiah says this, look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord. Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. What, what's the point of that? The Lord is saying it's good to fast, but if we fast, 
and we don't actually have our hearts changed so that we'll do the things of righteousness and holiness that God wants us to do. It's actually a wasted exercise. It's coming into worship and playing pretend. Look at some of these things that he lists here. He says, we're going to set people free. We're going to break the chains of wickedness. Um, We're going to share our food with those who are hungry. We're going to help out the poor and the homeless. We're going to clothe the naked. We're going to spend time with our family intentionally. He says all of these things because what he recognizes is, is that it's easy for people to go through the motions whenever they come into worship, but to not actually encounter him and have their hearts changed. So whenever we fast, the goal is not just to fast for the sake of fasting, but the goal is to encounter God so that God can expose things in our hearts so that we'll see things so that we'll live differently. It's a mini retreat so that we can meet with God and then go live the way that he wants us to live. So then we go out and we're like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry and look, I see this hungry person or I, I feel those needs and I see the people in need or God is using that time to expose wickedness or sinfulness in my heart and I need to repent of those things. Fasting is a place where when we follow God, God begins to change us and point us back towards him. Now you might be thinking, well, Steve, I mean, that's great, but... I mean, doesn't Houston Northwest already do that kind of stuff? Why do I specifically need to do it? Because this is not about organizational health. This is about you. This is about me meeting with God and in that moment having our hearts cultivated back towards him. So following God is just a natural thing that comes as we fast. So we fast so that we might be able to point back to him again. This is useful, yes, but it is intended to point us back to the glory of God. So we don't just fast because it's useful. We fast because God is glorious. Secondly, fasting is flagging down God. Look at verse 18. Your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. So fasting is not for other people. If you go back to verse 17, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, earlier verse 16, he says, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. I mean, man, he's hard on the hypocrites there, isn't he, right? The hypocrites, in other words, are walking around letting everyone know how hungry they are because they're fasting. And when you fast, you don't do it for other people, right? You don't say whenever everybody in the office is going to lunch, well, I can't do that. I'll be in my office with the door closed praying for you. (laughs) Sinner, right? (laughs) That's not the way that works. And by the way, I've been hungry for three weeks. Thank you, right? No, you don't tell anyone because the purpose is not for them. Now, I want to just talk about this quickly because I think that it's easy for us even whenever we come into worship corporately to worry what the people to our left or our right are thinking, right? So we might think, oh, well, man, that person, they're raising their hand. Maybe I should raise my hand so people will know that I I really do love Jesus. Because like, man, if I don't have my hand up, I probably don't love Jesus. Or we'll think like, man, If I raise my hand, what if I distract the person behind me? Then they can't see the words, and then they can't sing, and then they don't get saved today, so maybe I should keep my hand up, you know? (laughs) We have, like, really weird thoughts that go through our, our heads whenever we're in this room. Why? Because we're worried about the people around us. 
But we know when we're in our right mind, we're in our right heart, we know that worship is for one person and that person is God. Fasting is the same way. Now, we may fast for reasons, which we'll get to here in a second, but fasting is about the Lord. Um, you know, if we're driving down the road and I have a flat tire, which, you know, that's happened. If I have a flat tire, um, I, I don't typically call anybody. I just get the, the jack out and the spare out and I change the tire because I know how to do that, right? But if there's an actual emergency, like a real emergency, someone is, you know, having a, a medical emergency or I, I don't even know what that might be, but you've seen people on the side of the roads, right, where they are trying to flag someone down running out in, into traffic, waving their arms, taking off their coat, you know, rolling it around, wanting to get attention so that someone will say, hey, that's unusual. We should stop by and see what's happening right there with that guy. When we fast, that is a way where we are attempting to flag down God. Now, listen to me. This, is, this can get confusing. Some people will say, so are you saying God isn't here right now? I'm not saying that at all. God is here. But we also, through fasting, which again is a practice Jesus commended, we are saying, God, I'm in a spot right now where I need a little more of you. And when we fast, that is our way of flagging down God, waving our arms saying, God, come here. We want you here. We need a little more. And this is what we're doing when we fast. We are saying, we want you and nothing else will satisfy us. And so God, please come by this way. So I'm sharing this with you because there's, I'll give you a couple of examples here in scripture where people are fasting and they're, they're waving their arms. God, we need you here. Esther chapter four, verse 16. If you know the story of Esther, Esther needs to appear before the king. And if she appears without permission, she can be executed and so, in verse 16, she says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. Why does she do this? She said, we got to wave our arms and say, God, we need you to intercede right here. Like if you've ever had a moment where you're saying, God, we need clear direction. God, I need you to show up and heal this particular thing. God, we need to hear from you crystal clear. This is an example where you can fast and you are waving your arms saying, God, show us. Or we could go to Acts. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So fasting, just being part of the normal rhythm of the church, the Holy Spirit is able to speak to them. We'll get to this here in a second, but in fasting, we actually create a space where it's easier for us to hear from God. And in doing that, they hear the Holy Spirit tell them, Barnabas and Saul need to be sent out. And if you're wondering, well, was that really God? The answer is yes. Why? Because Saul goes on to become the most prolific church planter in the ancient world. Like they're hearing from God. So these are just a couple of examples, and we could give more, where when you fast, what you're saying is, God, I need to hear from you right now, and I'm going to show you that I need to hear from you. I'm stepping in traffic. I'm waving my arms. God, please stop down. And as, as a church... 
when we corporately fast, what we're saying is, is God, we want you to move in this place in this season. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we are saying, God, we want to hear from you. Um, unless something has changed in the last 24 hours, this revival at Asbury College is still continuing. And they've basically been in worship now for I, I don't know how many days they're, they're at, it, at at this point. It, it's something like, you know, 10 or 12 or something like that. And I mention this to you because a lot of people have been skeptical. You know, what's happening over there? Is this really real? And so there's a guy that I would describe as a very stiff Baptist. You know any stiff Baptists? Yes. Not derogatory, it's just a description. And he went to check this out. And he shows up to check it out. And he walked away completely convinced. Like, this is the real deal. The Lord has shown up in this place in a unique outpouring of the Spirit. And one of the things that he says in his report, which I read, which really moved me, was that people are standing in line for hours to get to come in. And when he went, uh, he was standing in line waiting, he's talking to people who are driving from all over to come and to be part of this. And he says, why are you here? And he said, over and over, they all said the same thing. Are you ready for this? This is what they all said. I want God. There are no celebrities leading worship at Asbury. Did you know that some well-known celebrity worship leaders have called and said, hey, how could we help? And they said, oh, you're welcome to come. Just sit in the back. The students are leading this. Well-known preachers have called, said the same thing. They got the same answer. There was a group that showed up attempting to kind of turn this into a political statement of some sort, and literally a group of students met them and said, you're welcome to come and to participate in a worship, but this is about Jesus, not about some agenda. They got on their bus and drove back. Now, I'm sharing this with you, not to talk about Asbury, but to tell you that the thing that happened was that people there wanted God. They didn't, they weren't trying to create an environment they were just seeking the Lord, and when that happened, then God broke through. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that whenever we try to make this about us or other people or worried about that, then we'll miss it. But whenever we say, I want to flag down God because I need God, he hears you and he responds to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that one of the things that like I... I, I was talking uh, with some of my friends about this, like, you know how, how you have like those inside jokes with your friends and like you see something and it just makes you think of them? So my cousin Gene, he lives in Denver and uh, his wife Nancy, and I don't know why, it just came up at some point years ago, like um, we have an ice cream truck that drives through our neighborhood after dark all the time. Now, you can draw your own conclusions from that we're, we're confused by it. We have some theories. None of them are good, but, you know, we're, what are we delivering to children at night while we're playing music? But, you know, at any rate, so we're, we've got all these kinds of, you know, things that we joke about. We're telling this to Gene and Nancy years ago. I mean, literally years ago. And they're laughing about it. Anytime to this, this happened three days ago. It's seven, eight o'clock at night, pitch black outside, ice cream truck drives by. We hear the music. Immediately, Joy takes out her phone, texts Gina, Nancy, and me, and says, ice cream truck. That's all it says. 
right? And then they take, and we just all start laughing. Ah, you're right, because, you know, this is like this inside joke. I mean, they're living in Denver. They don't even know what we're doing, but ice cream truck, boom, we all start laughing. Listen to me. Fasting is this way where we actually say, Jesus, we're thinking about you. Like in the same way that we send this sort of inside joke text and it just reminds us of our, my cousin and his wife back in Denver, whenever we fast, we're saying, hey, Jesus, thinking of you right now. And we want you. We want to receive you. We want to encounter you. We're not looking for anything else, but we miss you. We want more of your presence and we want to encounter you. Finally, fasting is feasting on God. Look at verse 18. So your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And then look at this last sentence. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He'll reward you. Now, I know that this may seem a little bit backwards, but whenever you don't eat, what you end up doing by not eating is you remind yourself, if you're doing it right, is that one day we will have the opportunity to feast with God. And I'm going to talk about this, but I love the way that Robert Farrar Capone puts it. He says, one way or another, God will give back feasts for all that we have fasted. So I want to, I want to just give a description of that. Any person in this room who is faithfully following Jesus has had moments where you have been tempted to sin, and you chose, instead of choosing sin, you chose to faithfully follow Jesus. And what we know, that doesn't mean that God loves you more or anything like that, but just by being faithful and following Jesus, you allow the Holy Spirit to move through you more, you're walking by the Spirit, but that also means that God is able, whenever you choose holiness, to allow righteousness to flow through you even more. That doesn't mean you're more saved, if this makes sense. It just means that you experience more of God by choosing to walk away from sin. Does that make sense? Right. Fasting works the same way. And whenever we fast, what we're doing is, is we're saying, God, I'm setting away food so that I can actually think about, meditate on, and prepare for the day when I will get to feast with you into eternity. And to prepare for that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to feast on your presence right now. I'm going to feast on your presence right now. And the way that we do that is through the practices that we tie to fasting. Okay, I may, I may be alone here, but does anybody in here besides me ever get hangry? Anybody get that, right? Yeah, I mean, I hate, I'm so embarrassed to say this, like the number of times I'm kind of cranky and Joy's like, do you need to eat something, you know? <laughs> the truth of the matter is, right, is that we will have these times where, you know, we have these emotions that come out, and the emotions come out because maybe our blood sugar's out of balance or whatever, but... The emotions come out because we haven't learned how to master them unless we're able to deaden them with, you know, a burger. And what fasting does is fasting gives you an opportunity to stop trying to deaden those emotions and instead interrogate those emotions. Like instead of running away from them and just burying them under french fries, you say, God, why am I feeling this way? Now, when we go into this fast, some of us will fast one meal a day. Others may fast one meal a week or a couple of meals a week or uh, however you do that. But what I want you to hear is this. 
is that when you do that, your body is going to have to adjust to you eating less because your body is used to you eating in a certain rhythm and a certain pattern. And when you get out of that rhythm and that pattern, what's going to happen is that emotions that are just below the surface are going to spring up. And some of the people around you are going to say, maybe you should eat, right? But what you're going to do is instead you're going to feast on God. And you're going to interrogate those emotions with the Lord by your side. And you're going to say, God, why am I feeling this way? What is this really about? Now, I'm not just annoyed, but there's something deeper happening here. Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why are those emotions coming up? And if you interrogate those emotions with the Lord at your side, he will show you. So as you interrogate those emotions, the Lord begins to reveal those to you, then he's going to say, I'm going to fulfill those desires as you seek me. So how do we do that? Well, part of fasting means feasting on God through prayer. Like a lot of us in this room, we would say, well, I don't have enough time to pray. And I talk to people all the time. They're like, I, I want to pray. I just don't know when to do it or how to do it. Well, so you can pray anytime because it's just a conversation with God. But here's, here's what you do. You take the time you would normally eat and whatever that meal is, and you say, today, I'm just going to feast on the presence of God through prayer. And you just take that time you'd normally eat and you would pray. And I want you to think, wow, you know, an hour a week, seven hours a week, whatever that is, you get back in prayer and you encounter God and you interrogate those emotions, talking to God side by side. And just think about the deep heart work and emotional work that God can do in you and through you. Think about as you listen to the Spirit, how God's going to say, here's someone that's hurting that I want you to talk to. Think about as you do those things, what God would do in and through and for you. Another thing that we do as we fast is we feast on the Word of God. Jesus says it, right? Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and Satan comes to tempt him, what does he do? He quotes Scripture back to the, the enemy because we know that, um, that Scripture sustains us. It holds us together. It gives us uh, a way to overcome in ways that we would think we never would be able to do. And what I'm telling you is, is that if you will not just pray, but also have your Bible open before you, you pray as you read, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, God begins to reveal things to you, ways that you, you need to change, ways you need to repent, ways you need to confess, you begin to work on that. God draws you nearer as we feast on Him through Scripture. Another thing we do is just worship, right? Like, get your phone, turn on some worship music, sing with the Lord as you're doing that. One of the things that I, I, I remember and I have to remember over and over is that if you resist the enemy, what? He flees. And if you're, you're praying and you're reading the word, you think the enemy's gonna like that? No, he's gonna come after you. But when you start singing, your voice is terrible. He's gonna run away. I'm just kidding. That's not right. But this is what's gonna happen. He doesn't wanna hear. He doesn't wanna hear the praises of God, right? And as we resist the enemy through prayer and through reading the word and through singing, the enemy flees and we begin to get a clear-eyed picture of what's happening in our heart and we're able then at that moment to say, God, what do you want me to do? And what I love and I love thinking about this right here is that God wants us to feast on him. If you look at all these revival movements the, of the past, what happened was not that people were coming to hear a speaker, the ones that were real and genuine, but what happened was that God just wanted 
that people just wanted to be in the presence of God. That's what they wanted. They just wanted to be in the presence of God. And if we can begin to cultivate that through fasting, then we can begin to experience God because we begin to get to a place where we're cultivating this true presence, where we're feasting on Him. When we linger in God's presence, when we show simple devotion to Him, God can do something beautiful, something glorious, something different. I don't think it's an accident that whenever Jesus is, is teaching his disciples the Lord's Supper, what does he say? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to each of them, and then what does he say? He says, this is my body. Yeah, he, he says, this is my body. He wants you to feast on him. Feast on me. John chapter 6. Whoever does not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not wanting you to be a cannibal. Jesus is saying, feast on my presence. Whoever does not, what, whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness, he will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for Jesus. Hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Want that. Yearn that. Train yourself in that. Discipline yourself in that. <clears throat> and as you go after God in that, what will happen? He will come by. He will meet you in that place. If we seek him, if we pursue him, he will meet us in that place. This is why we're gonna have this night of prayer and worship on Wednesday. And I'm gonna explain kind of the, the fast that we're gonna go into. And I'm gonna talk about ways that we're gonna be praying and engaging the Lord. And I just want us to be here because I believe that if we'll show up and cry out to God together that God can move and God will move because in the same way that God wants us to pursue him, God wants to pursue his people, right? That's what he wants. The story of the Bible from the very beginning is God giving his presence, right? He, he walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. He gives his presence to Abram. He moves in among his people with Moses, goes with them, pillar of uh, fire, pillar of smoke. He fills up the tabernacle. He moves into the temple. Then he comes and he takes on flesh. And at the end, do you remember this in Revelation? That there is no need for sun or for moon because his glory will light the nations. <laughs> like you get the unmediated presence of God. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The story of the Bible is so much bigger than Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that's true. You know why? Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be in the presence of God. Like God wants to give you himself. That's better than any gift you could ever receive. The greatest gift you could receive is to have the presence of God in and on you. And think about a church where people are seeking and crying out for him and they're not here just because they think God is useful, but because they believe that God is glorious and the greatest gift they could ever have. What would happen then? God can move and change hearts and things begin to happen. And I'm sharing this with you because if I could give you any message, it would be this. Hunger for God, because when you hunger for God, you get the greatest gift of all. You get the greatest gift of all. If you are in this room today and you have never said yes to Jesus, what I want you to hear is that you're not just missing out on morality 
are missing out on being part of a church. You are missing out on inviting the greatest thing you could ever have into your life, which is the very presence of God. God wants to be in your life, on your life. He wants to lead you and guide you. He wants to show you the right decisions to make. He wants to be with you. And he did that. He showed you that by giving Jesus, Jesus dying and resurrected so that you can know and have that. And together as a church, we're going to go after God and say, God, move. God, show us yourself. God, move in our city. God, break forth. Hey, I'll tell you something. If we seek after God earnestly and the revival breaks out down the street, I will say thank you, Jesus, because our crying out was heard. Right? This isn't about us seeing something necessarily here. It's about us getting the presence of God so that we see this spilling over and transforming, transform, transforming our incredible city in this day and in this time. So today what I would say to you is that our God is so much bigger than being useful. Our God is in fact and indeed glorious. and He wants you to know that today if you'll come and you'll, you'll feast on him. So would you pray with me right now? Just bow your heads. And I just feel prompted by the Spirit right now <clears throat> to, uh, to give those in this room who have heard this message today an opportunity to, to just say yes to the Lord. And if you've heard this right now and you feel that you, it's time for you to say yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus, and you're saying, you know what, right now I just want to say yes to the Lord. I want his presence in my life, on my life. I want the greatest gift I could have. I want the presence of God. And you've never said yes to him. I just want to be able to pray for you right now, but you have to say yes. I can't make you say yes. I can't twist your arm. Like you can only have that whenever you decide you're ready to follow Jesus right here, right now. And I just wanna pray for you if that's the case. Would you just let me know by just raising your hand saying I'm ready to say yes to the Lord right now for the first time. Would you raise your hand? Okay, I see you. Thank you. Who else? Anybody else? Okay. Who else? Okay. So the person who raised their hand up back here, I just want you to, um, and maybe some of us who, who didn't raise their hand, I just want you where you're at just to pray with me right now. God, I, I want you. And God, I want your presence. God, forgive me my sin. I, I believe in Jesus. God, I'm ready to follow you and make Jesus my king, my Lord, my boss. And I pray this in his name. Amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text Jesus to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.